Strange Brew Podcast, Season 1, Episode 95. We've got a lot to go over today. It's a loaded episode. We've got a pennant push for the Brewers, a division push on what has so far been a no good, awful, very bad week. The good news is the Cubs finally lost last night. Two-game lead, three better in the loss column. After a day off on Thursday, the Brewers are in New York taking on the Yankees' first of three tonight. Badgers back on the field at Washington State. As we discussed on Monday this week, before the year began, I thought that'll be a win. That's going to be a revenge win after what happened last year. After the way the Cougars looked on Saturday and the way the Badgers looked in the first half against Buffalo on Saturday and Mordecai's day, it's going to be a tough game. Badgers are six-point favorites. We will break that down. It is, of course, Packer-Bear week. We're going to talk about that. We'll talk about the NFL coming back. We are going to chat with my former boss, now a radio programmer in the Fox Valley and noted Bears-Cubs fan. We don't talk about the Cubs, at least. I wanted to get a Bear fan perspective of what to think about this weekend, what they're thinking about this weekend with year three of Justin Fields. We did a phone interview. We'll air that. We will get to number one on my personal favorite top five Packer Bear games. I'm sure you know what it is. I'm sure it's your number one as well. And we will make our picks against the spread. Gambling picks are back, baby. It's 58 degrees outside. Let's go. On the ground, a chance here. Durham to Hardy to first. It's the yes. Yes. Here comes Melvin to the 25, to the 20, Gordon 15, 10, 5, touchdown, Wisconsin, record-breaking run. Morgan, a smash up the middle, face hit the center, here comes Gomez, around third, a throw, and the Brewers win. Here's the snap, he looks, he throws, and and there is your Super Bowl dagger. Booker the drive, gets inside, leads in, knocked away and stolen by Holiday. Phoenix has to foul, and a pinnacle ball throws it down. Swinging fly ball in the right center. Broxton is there, and they're the champions. They have done it. It's been a 50-year journey. Wisconsin, we've got a room at the top of the world tonight. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions. Yeah, we finally made it. We are in the Midwest Communications building in Sheboygan, as we've been over on this podcast many, many times. We had such hot weather for five or six days in a row, and it's still summer. I get it. And those that love the hot weather and you're sad to see it go and summer feels like it's gone in a blink. You don't want those 70 and 80 degree days to be gone that quickly, but I do. (laughs) I do. We had upper 80s, low 90s muggy for a long stretch there. When I looked, though, at my extended forecast on my iPhone and you click the weather deal on there, I've been staring down or I had been staring down that Thursday forecast for it felt like forever where it said finally it wasn't 88 or 91. It said 66 or 65 for Thursday. (laughs) Just get to Thursday. And I came into work yesterday morning and it was just perfect. It was 54 degrees. It was hoodie and shorts weather. It was chilly season, football season, seasonal depression. It's all there. We're getting back to every part of it, and I am going to enjoy every second of it. To me, fall goes by too quick because before you know it, the leaves are down and it's winter. You don't even get how many months of summer do we get? Three months-ish of summer based on, well, whenever spring sometimes extends and we're talking about snow in April and things like that. 
Fall, it feels like, is gone in four weeks. The real heart of fall, where the leaves are a brilliant color, and it's football, and the Packers are playing, and the Badgers are playing, and hopefully the Brewers are in a pennant chase. That feels like it's gone way faster. We got that first dose of it on Thursday, though, and it was everything I could have hoped for. Just in a better mood overall. I have the reverse of seasonal depression. When we get to maybe November or December, I'll feel differently. I feel great right now. All right, let's talk about the Brewers first. We will start with baseball, even though football, 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 and we'll talk about the Lions-Chiefs game last night, the Kadarius-Tony boner, the Kadarius-Tony mishap. He had so many bad mistakes last night. Crazy. We'll talk about all that on the way. Got to start baseball, though. We'll end with football. Brewers day off on Thursday. It was a mess of a week. It's just, it's not the worst series loss they've had this year. It's up there, but it's not. That'll forever and always be the Oakland A's, the 40-win Oakland A's sweeping the Brewers in Milwaukee or getting swept by the last-place Rockies in Colorado. To me, the Oakland series takes the cake there. Losing a series to Pittsburgh, though, in September, when you're in first place, you're trying to track down a division title, and going into the series, you had Burns, Woodruff, and Peralta. When you look at that, and we talked about this either on Monday or Friday, In baseball, if you're a diehard baseball fan, it is tough to look at a series and think sweep. Although the A series was like that too, and I was not wrong. There was a sweep involved in that A series. If you're a smart baseball fan, you know sweeps are hard to come by. They happen for every team during the course of the year. It's a very difficult thing to bank on, though. When you looked at this Pittsburgh matchup and you're thinking, we're in first place, we've been playing better, the nine-game win streak was not that long ago, you've got your three best pitchers, the Pirates have subsided after that hot start to the year like we kind of knew they would, 10 or 11 or 12 games under 500, you've got to get all these. You go out and lose on Monday with Corbin on the hill. Corbin was uneven, the offense was flat, disappointing game. Then you came back with Woodruff on Tuesday, and he was great. He was as good as we've seen all year. Of those three, of that three-headed monster in the rotation of Burns, Woodruff, and Peralta, if you had one game right now, who would you go with? Big Woo, right? And Burns is one of Cy Young, and I realize the pedigree that he has and the history that he has. He has been up and down a bit this year, more up than down since the All-Star break. Woodruff, though, since he's been back, just dominant. Six innings or seven innings of one-run ball. Offense finally broke out a bit, put a crooked number up in the fourth or fifth inning on Tuesday. They had to hang on, had a 7-0 lead, and then late in that game on Tuesday, just looking for some mop-up duty, they put the lefty Clayton Andrews in the game. He had made a couple of other appearances this year. They called him up to fill a bullpen spot before that game on Tuesday. 7-0 lead. You're up a touchdown. Just get three outs. He gave up three runs in five pitches. I don't think I've seen anything escalate that quickly. Five pitches he gave up three runs. Double, single, home run. And just like that, the team was kind of on its heels, and even if things go sideways for a reliever in that situation where you have a big lead and it's kind of mop-up duty, even when it doesn't work out, it doesn't go sideways that quickly. You generally have a little bit of time to get somebody loose. It was bad so quickly that Council had to go to the mound and just eat some time up to get Elvis Peguero ready to come in that game. Eventually, Peguero did come in. Eventually, though, the Pirates had two more guys on with two outs, And you're thinking, are we going to have to put Devin Williams in this game? Williams is getting loose. Piguero got the final out. You got the win on Wednesday or Tuesday. I came on the air on Wednesday on the B93 morning show when we do our little sports break in the 7 o'clock hour. And I said, look, we wanted to sweep, obviously. When you have a bad team, it's this time of year. Every game is critical. Your three best pitchers are going. You want sweep. That goes by the wayside right away on Monday. 
But you just have to win series. We just have to win series. If you win every series the rest of the way, you will win the division. If you win five of the remaining six series, you'll probably win the division. Just win series, which means going out on Wednesday afternoon and winning a series with the reigning NL Pitcher of the Month on the mound for the month of August, Freddie Peralta. Then you go out on Wednesday, and Willie Adamas cranks a three-run bomb to begin the game. Feeling real good. You're up 3 nothing. Freddie's on the hill. That might be enough to win the game in and of itself. You're going to get the series win. But as happened on Monday, and as happened against the Phillies on Sunday, they score early, don't do much after that, and then slowly the other team just starts to chip away. Similar to Corbin on Monday, Freddie was not NL Pitcher of the Month, Freddie, on Wednesday. You can't expect him to be that for the rest of the year. It'd be great if he could be. Because for the month of August, the guy looked like Pedro out there, the way he was striking guys out with the high heat, 96, 97 miles per hour, mixing his pitches, mixing his location. He did. He looked like, and I've always said that. I'm not saying Freddie Peralta is Pedro Martinez. I'm saying when Freddie Peralta is absolutely on top of his game, it reminds me of the way that Pedro used to work batters. He's a poor man's Pedro when he's at his absolute best. Pedro's one of the all-time greats. He might be on the Mount Rushmore. Just the way that Freddie throws, how he's kind of slight in stature, but he gets a lot of power on that fastball. It just reminds me of the way Pedro used to throw, especially attacking the top of the zone with that fastball. That was a Pedro signature. In addition to that curveball, the devastating curveball he had, Pedro always seemed to throw that 96, 98-mile-hour fastball right at the top part of the zone. When most people are always attacking down, he was always at the top of the zone right at that line. You didn't have that on Wednesday. He wasn't bad, though. Five and a third, three runs. That's a game that you have to win against a team that's 11 or 12 games under 500, especially this time of year, especially when you're in first place. They just couldn't generate any offense, really, after that three-run bomb. Slowly, the Pirates chipped away. They got the game tied on a two-run home run, then took the lead, and eventually got in front by a couple of runs. Brewers did score late one run on a Canna RBI single. Canna continues to be very impressive. He's batting over 300 now in his time with Milwaukee. His OPS while he's been in Milwaukee is 852, to the point where I'm seeing some chatter among Brewers fans, and I kind of agree with it. Do you pick up his option? He has an option, a team option for next year. Like we talked about when they got both Canna and Santana, they're not young. Santana's older than Canna's. I think Canna's 34 or 35. When they picked him up, though, it felt like one of those moves, maybe you catch lightning in a bottle like they have so far, and he can give the offense a jolt and give you a professional at bat, an impact bat maybe in the middle or bottom half of the order. With all the outfielders they have in Weimer and Freelich and you got Churio eventually at some point in the next year or two and Tyrone Taylor and all the young guys that they have. Who am I missing there? Uh, Garrett Mitchell. It just felt like they're not going to pick that team option up. But for how well he's performed and how steady he's been, you might think about it. You might think about that for next year. That got them to within a run, and then it ended up in the ninth inning with a runner on, William Contreras at the plate and two outs, and C.B. Buckner who doesn't get nearly enough headlines for being a horrifically bad home plate umpire because Angel Hernandez exists. If Angel Hernandez did not exist, C.B. Buckner would be the guy we all talk about as being awful behind the plate, as being the number one reason that we want to go to robot umps. Just go to robot umps. Just go to the robot strike zone. We have the technology to work around this. I do not understand at this point, and I'm a traditionalist, I'm a German at heart, I do not understand why as baseball fans we just sit there and deal with human error and there's a whole segment of fans that say well it's a part of the game it's been a part of the game for 100 plus years it should be a part of the game really why why should it be it doesn't have to be 
He called a strike on William Contreras that was in another zip code. It would not have even been an inside strike on a left-handed batter. It was so bad. I believe Codify or whatever, what's the baseball page I'm thinking of? Pitching Ninja maybe? They had it as the furthest outside strike call of any called strike in the calendar year, in the sports, in the baseball season. It was awful. Not That's not why they lost the game. It didn't help, but that's not why they lost the game. If that's called a ball like it should, you'd have two on with a run with a batter coming up, still two outs. You know, you'd have to get a hit to tie the game. You're in a better position to tie the game. That's not why they lost, but that was terrible. Terrible by C.B. Buckner on Wednesday. Brewers end up losing, and you lose the series to a bad Pirates team when you don't want that to be happening this time of year. Cubs won on Wednesday, so they got within a game and a half. Cubs played on Thursday. Brewers had the day off. Second to last off day of the year. Thank God the Cubs lost on Thursday. First of four at home against the Diamondbacks, and the Diamondbacks got a 6-2 to two win. That stems the tide a bit. Brewers have a two-game lead entering play today. They are three better in the loss column, and that's really what you need to watch. I know you immediately jump to the games back part of it, and you see that number getting lower and lower and lower. It was a game and a half, now it's two. What you really look for is that loss column. They are three better in the loss column. Cubs have played two more games than the Brewers. Because they played on Thursday, they already had a one-game advantage in terms of games played going into Thursday. That's what you watch for, though. You watch the games back, but you really watch where they are in the loss column. Cubs are three back in the loss column entering play today. They continue their four-game set with the Diamondbacks. Another piece of good news from that series is the Diamondbacks won that game, and I'm pretty sure they had either a Colin Ray-type starter who's starting tonight in New York. They either had that type of starter or just a bullpen game on Thursday. When I looked at those pitching matchups for the Diamondbacks-Cubs series, Diamondbacks have two excellent pitchers, one that's going to be in the Cy Young conversation in Zach Gallen, and another that was in the Cy Young conversation last year who's also having a good year, Merrill Kelly. When I looked at that four-game set, I thought, okay, those are two games. They have to deal with the Diamondbacks' two best pitchers. Diamondbacks won the game on Thursday, and that was not a start by Kelly or Gallon. Gallon, I believe, goes this afternoon. You might have a lot of good news heading into your matchup in New York tonight if the Diamondbacks can get an afternoon win at Wrigley heading into the night slate. Brewers are in New York. The New York Yankees, Jerry. The New York Yankees? The New York Yankees! (laughs) Ruth Gehrig? DiMaggio, Mantle, Costanza. I'm busting, Jerry. I'm busting. The cotton uniforms and the hitting coach seat I loved with, was it Derek Jeter? Was it Bernie Williams then? It's not complicated. It's simple physics. At New York tonight, not a matchup you see a lot, but we'll see a lot more now with the new scheduling. The Yankees have underachieved. There are a lot of teams in baseball with massive payrolls this year that just have not gotten it done. The first one you think of, the Mets, then the Padres, and the Yankees are on that list too. Yankees don't have the highest payroll in baseball anymore, though. They're up there, top four, top five. They're hovering right around 500. Are they over? They may have just gotten over. New York is hot. They're 500. They're 70 and 70. They're way back in the division. They're way back in the wild card race. They're not going anywhere, but... With a month left in the year, they are getting healthy. Injuries have been a part of the thing that have plagued them this year. They have Aaron Judge back now. They have Mike Stanton back now. They have gone 7-3 and in their last 10, trending better. They're not going to threaten for a playoff spot this year. But like we talked about, what was it, a week or two ago with the Padres matchup, even though the Padres are under 500 and haven't been good this year, you're always fearful when you go against a team that you know has talent. Throw the records out. You know that Yankee lineup is going to be a tough one. Pitching has not been great for New York either. Colin Ray is on the hill tonight. Can he continue to be good enough 
They are 12-8 and eight in Colin Ray's starts. That's not his record, but that's what they are when he takes them out as a starter. This will be his 21st start. Luis Severino, who used to be an important part of the middle of that rotation, he comes in tonight 4-8 and eight with an ERA of almost 7, so you can guarantee 7 innings of one-run ball from Severino tonight. I'm sure of it. Colin Ray versus Severino, 6.05 tonight. It is an afternoon start time Saturday, which means we have no bleed over between the Brewers and Badgers, which you love. 105 on Saturday, Wade Miley on the Hill, Corbin Burns goes at 1235 on Sunday. Also, almost no bleed over there between Brewers and Packers. Hopefully, they can get back on the right track. Every game is so critical right now. The Brewers enter play tonight, 77 and 72. Like we said, two-game lead in the division, three better in the loss column. Keep an eye on that Cubs matchup this afternoon. It'll be a tough one in New York. Then they come back home for a four-game set with Miami. Miami, they've gotten it together a little bit. They're still fighting for that second wild card spot. Where are the wild card standings? Right now, the Brewers would be the three seed if the season ended today. And they would take on the Phillies are the number one wild card team. Cubs are the number two wild card team. We want that to stay that way. I want that matchup. I want the Phillies and the Cubs, one of them to eliminate the other one. I'd love them both to be gone. You want that matchup in the first round. Right now, the sixth seed would be the Diamondbacks, the team that is in Wrigley or in Chicago this weekend and won yesterday at Wrigley. The Marlins are a half game back of the Diamondbacks for the second NL wildcard spot. That's what's coming up for the Brewers coming back home. Four against Miami starting on Monday back at AmFam Field. We're down to it now, though. About 25 games left as they get set for play tonight. All right, let's talk real quickly about the Badgers. We went over a lot of this on Monday. There's not a whole lot of new light to shed on it. They don't have any major injuries entering Washington State's matchup. As I said off the top, this was a game when I looked at the preseason schedule with all of the hype behind the Luke Fickle train. I knew Washington State came to Camp Randall and won last year. That truly, when you look back at last year, the Illinois game and Brett Bielema coming into Camp Randall and winning was the straw that broke Paul Chris back. The first domino, though, was that Washington State game. And in the last few years, the, the heart of the Chris era where things were really good and the vibes were good and the fan base was feeling like we may be taking a step forward, 2017, 2018, somewhere in there, 2016 through 2018. After that, it felt like they always had a couple of letdowns every year, especially non-conference, especially against teams they shouldn't lose to. That was, to me, the first domino last year where you thought, ooh, that's another bad loss. And they had that one to BYU a few years ago. Another bad non-conference loss at home. At that point, at the end of that game last year, I didn't think it would cost Chris his job. But the way they played after that, and then, of course, the Illinois game, it was still a shock he got fired midseason. That Washington State game, though, that was the first chip to fall last year in the end of the Chris era. Even knowing how that went last year with Fickle and all the transfers and all the hype and Mordecai and all that stuff, I figured this team will roll through the preseason. They'll roll over Buffalo. They'll find a way to win in Washington State. Maybe it won't be the easiest game in the world, but I probably, if you would have asked me then, probably a two-touchdown win in my mind. And then you crush Georgia Southern before you open Big Ten play at Purdue. Given what we saw from the Badgers on Saturday, very uneven performance, better defensively in the second half, better all the way around in the second half, Mordecai up and down, the one touchdown, two picks. Skylar Bell's drop factors in there, as we discussed on Monday. Seeing that, and then seeing Washington State build on their year last year with a 50-burger at Colorado State. Colorado State, not a very good program. Still, though, you score 50 on a team on the road. That opens eyes, and their offense was much improved last year, which we saw firsthand. All of a sudden, you kind of think, this game might be tight. 
it opened with the Badgers as a three-point favorite. That's all the way up to six and a half. A lot of heavy money. Is it public money? Is it sharp money? A lot of money has come in on the Badgers side of that line when it opened at three or three and a half. They're just short of a touchdown favorite. If they play the way they did against Buffalo, this could be a loss. If they play the way they played in the first half of the Buffalo game, in the first half tomorrow against Washington State, they're not going to have a lead. That was the one thing about Buffalo in that week one matchup. You played very poorly in the first half, but you still had a 14-7, 14-10 lead. If they play Saturday night's first half the way they played it last Saturday afternoon, they could be down two scores. They could be down 17 to nothing or 17-7 to or something like that. And then with a new program and a lot of moving parts, you're trying to get a win on the road and dig out of a hole really have to try to avoid, if you can, coming out and just not being sharp in that first half because it will cost them. It will cost them more this Saturday than it did last Saturday. And if you play that way all the way through, this is certainly a game the Badgers could lose. Hoping they come out sharper, hoping they open things up a little bit more, hoping Mordecai is more locked in, not as much happy feet, not as much bailing on the deep routes and going with those underneath routes. I would expect early to establish the run. They didn't really establish the run in the first half or in the Buffalo game until late second quarter, early third quarter. That's when Malusi and and Allen really asserted themselves. In order to relieve some pressure and to put Mordecai at ease, I would expect early on they're going to try to see what they can do on the ground just to get some rhythm and some momentum and to relax the team a little bit. And hopefully they get into a rhythm early and are able to win this game. If they can win this game handily, if they come out and win this game by 10, 14 points, something like that, you're feeling really good about the progression of this team heading into that final non-conference game, which should be a 40-plus point win against Georgia Southern. It is a 6 o'clock kickoff for the Badgers at Washington State, number 19 team in the country. I believe they did move up a few spots in the AP poll. They're right where they were last week in the coaches' poll, not moving a whole lot, which makes sense. It wasn't all that of an impressive win. You win by 21 over Buffalo, that's great. You did what you had to do. It didn't open any eyes, though. This one could. If you can win this one by 21, then you're feeling very good and probably a top 15 team before that Georgia Southern matchup. That is tomorrow. I'm not going to put that in any of the picks. I just don't know enough about this Badger team yet to have them in any kind of picks, although I did put some money on Saturday and lost trying to get them to cover a 27 and a half. We'll get to picks, though, coming up. And we'll have a couple of college football in there. All right, let's talk about the NFL. It got underway last night. Chiefs and Lions. It was banner night at Arrowhead as they celebrate their second Super Bowl championship in the Patrick Mahomes era. You got to tip your cap to the Lions. I did not see that coming. I didn't have anything on the spread just because there are so many unknowns in week one, especially with that kind of a game, national TV game, and one team is celebrating the Super Bowl, and one team was kind of on the rise last year, but can they carry that over and that momentum into the next year? It started as Chiefs minus six and a half. It got all the way down to minus four after it became clear that Chris Jones, all pro defensive lineman for the Chiefs, was not going to play. And Travis Kelsey hyperextended his knee in practice this week. Once it was announced he was not going to play, it went all the way down to Chiefs minus four. You had some injury components there. What I did bet on was points. I just thought Lions defense, they made some changes. They were not a good defense last year. In my mind, and I guess I could be wrong, In my mind, they didn't make enough changes to improve that defense to a top 15, top 10 level. And the Chiefs, during this Mahomes run, they've had some okay defenses, but they're driven by Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes and speedy wide receivers and good running backs, the offense is what drives that car. For all of those reasons, I thought, points, give me points. Feed me. I was like Ezekiel Elliott with a bowl of cereal. Feed me points. 54 and a half was the total point over under. 
that was basically dead on arrival. That was dead in the mid-second quarter when it was 7-7 with, what, five or six minutes left in the second quarter. There was no way that that over was going to hit. Even a teased over didn't hit yesterday. The teased over would have been 46 or 47. That wouldn't have even hit with 41 total points. That's where I thought it was going to hit. But if you're a Lions fan, man, with the spotlight on you, with the way they ended the last year, they were the Vogue pick to win. Well, they're the gambling pick to win the NFC North. They're the team a lot of people were talking about in the offseason, carrying that momentum from last year into this year. They get that spotlight of the first game of the year. It's the bizarre world <laughs> for most of my life, for all of my life, basically. They haven't won a division title since 93. They had a few playoff runs with Matthew Stafford, but you really have to go back to the Barry Sanders-Wayne Fonts era for that team or franchise to be relevant, and Herman Moore, Scotty Mitchell, some of those guys in the early to mid-90s. It's just been so long. It's weird to think of them as a division favorite, as a pick to make a playoff run, as the team that's being highlighted as the opponent for the reigning Super Bowl champion on opening night. They went in there and they got a win. Now, if you watched the game, the problem was the wide receiving core for the Chiefs. You wonder if they let this get too far down the line or they got a little too cocky with how they've been able to replace wide receivers that they've let go. You know, for four or five years, they have these good wide receivers they don't want to pay him. They let him walk or trade him. And then they've been able to replace them with other parts, put him right in that offense, and then that wide receiver has had success. I almost wonder if they took that too far. You know what I mean? Where if you have a really nice car and you start ordering parts cheaper from different places, but the car's running fine, and then you think, boy, there's a real heavy discount on this one on the dark web <laughs> getting shipped to me from the Panama Canal in an unmarked box, but maybe... And then you throw that in your car, in your 68 Camaro, and the whole thing falls apart. You wonder if they got a little too stingy because those wide receivers last night, MVS is there. He had a catch or two. Kadarius Tony, we'll talk about in a second. Without Travis Kelsey out there, based on what we saw last night, and again, it's only week one, you wonder if they went a little too far with, oh, Patrick Mahomes is so good, he'll make anybody good. Well, not anybody. Kadarius Tony is a guy that a lot of people drafted late in fantasy drafts, myself included, thinking, well, somebody's got to catch touchdowns there. Patrick Mahomes is going to throw if he's healthy, 35, 40 touchdowns. Travis Kelsey will catch a lot of those, but not all of them. Tony comes over from the New York Giants, a guy that seemed to always have promise but never be able to fulfill it and always had injury problems. For all of those reasons, you think, I don't know, I'll take a flyer on him in the 13th or 14th round. I think I have him. I'm in three leagues. I think I have him in at least two of those leagues. What a disaster. What an absolute train wreck last night. He had three drops, and they were all massive. He dropped a third and two inside the Lions 20 when the game was tied at 14. Well, the first drop was the one that led to the pick six. That changed the whole game. It was a 14-7 Chiefs lead. Chiefs had the ball and were moving it and threatening for a two-score lead. Mahomes hit hit Kadarius Toney in the hands. Where else do you want to hit him? It went right through his hands, into the hands of that Lions safety. He takes it to the house for a game-tying pick six. Then with the game tied at 14, Chiefs inside the Lions 20, third and two, easy catch over the middle, dropped it. That leads to a field goal. That could have been a touchdown drive, 17-14 Chiefs. Eventually, the Lions have the 21-20 lead. Chiefs get the ball back, though, with two minutes left, and you're thinking, we've seen this script before. The reigning Super Bowl champs will shake off the hangover, go on one drive, kick a game-winning field goal, and escape by the skin of their teeth in week one. And Mahomes had Tony wide open inside the Lions 40, which for Butker would have set up at least a game-winning attempt of a 45-46 yarder if you don't gain another yard after that. Nobody was around him. That went right through his hands. Three massive drops that led to a field goal instead of a touchdown. 
led to a Lions touchdown and then took the potential for a game-winning field goal off the board. So if you watched the game last night, you saw that and said, did the Lions really win or did the Chiefs ultimately cough that thing up, specifically Kadarius Toney? Both things can be true. The Lions still had to make the plays. That Lions safety, I think he was a rookie safety, still had to haul in that interception and he had to make the play. I get all of that. The Lions won the game, but to me, the Chiefs lost it. But I know we have Lions fans that listen to the B93 Morning Show, and I just threw out there on the air this morning, how are you feeling today, given that you've got that spotlight for the first time in forever, you had the opening night designation, and then you go into Arrowhead, the reigning Super Bowl champs, and you beat them on the road, even though the Chiefs made a litany of mistakes. If you're a Lions fan, you're saying, Dominic Toretto, Fast and the Furious, I don't care. You win by an inch or a mile. Winning's winning. Winning's winning. I played the hell out of that clip in 2019 when the Packers went 13-3 and and didn't deserve to win probably six of those games. Winning's winning. I played that over and over and over again. And I had a few Lions fans text in and say, yeah. Obviously, them not having Kelsey hurt and all the drops hurt. We're not apologizing for a win on the road in Kansas City, though, nor should you. 21-20 win for the Chiefs. I kind of feel good for Dan Campbell. I saw the postgame presser. He had a dip the size of a cheeseburger in his lip, in both lips, I think. And they were fired up, and they should be getting a win like that. on the road. I don't care how it happened. That sets the stage for opening weekend in the NFL. Packers-Bears. Packers have won 25 of the last 29 matchups. Packers have won the last eight matchups overall. It's been a rivalry dominated by Green Bay basically since 1992 or 93. It's the oldest rivalry in football. Not the longest continuous rivalry in football, though. Do you know what that one belongs to? That is the Packers and the Lions. That's the longest continuous rivalry they've played every year since, I think, 1931. Packers-Bears have played the most, but they had an interruption. What year did they not play? They didn't play each other in one year. That's why it's not the longest continuous rivalry. You've got a fun fact for you here. Am I making it up? You'll have to Google it. It was 1982, the strike year. They did not play in the strike year, and that's why it's not the longest continuous rivalry. It has been dominated by the Packers in the Favre-Rogers era, culminating with a year or two ago, the I Still Own You game, Aaron Rodgers. And now we have a total unknown. I talked about that on the air this morning. I've been talking about it all week. There's just not a lot that you know going into this game. Hopefully the defense with basically the same cast of characters coming back from last year. And we talked about Joe Barry on Monday's podcast and how, yeah, I get that people don't love the Joe Barry era. And I also understand that if they don't perform this year with all the draft capital and all the money they put on that side of the football, he's probably gone. Remember, though, on Monday we discussed how it hasn't been as bad maybe as people are making it out to be. It was a top 10 defense in 2021 and played elite in a playoff game that they lost, not because of the defense. And last year, they fell back to number 19 in the league, but they were good the second half of the year when the Packers made their run, threatened to get to the playoffs, and they are not the reason that team was not in the playoffs. That was on the offense in that final game at home against Detroit. If the defense can take a little step forward, you kind of know what you have there. The offensive line returns pretty much intact. The two running backs, uh, the combo of Jones and Dillon, that's there. The young wide receivers are all entering year two. The X factor is Jordan Love, and we just don't know a whole lot. It's been a long time. Since we've gone into a season. Now, Love made the spot start at Arrowhead a couple of years ago in a game that mattered. He played in Detroit that year, too, the finale. That didn't matter as much. He came in with mop-up duty against Philadelphia last year, which was an encouraging quarter and a half. That's what we all looked to and said, well, okay, maybe. That's as good as he's looked. But we just don't know. And it's been basically my entire life where I've gone into a year 
And I know we have a Hall of Fame quarterback or a Pro Bowl-level quarterback. Going back to the early 90s, we didn't know Favre was going to be a Hall of Famer. And maybe the early part of Rodgers' career, we didn't know he was going to be a Hall of Famer. But pretty quickly into their careers, that became apparent. It's been my whole life. I just, we don't know what to expect from a full season of Jordan Love. In a way, it's kind of freeing, isn't it? There's a part of it that I am relishing in. Because to me, going into this weekend, all of the pressure is on Chicago. Even though they were a three-win team last year, these other teams in the NFC North are all banking on, there's no chance they get a third-grade quarterback in a row, right? There's no chance they get three in a row. Any Bears fan in our office, any Viking fan in our office, I've got Viking fan relatives and Lions fans on the text line, that's what I've heard from them. There's no way Jordan Love can be good because the gods will not allow it. The sports gods won't allow it. It's not even that if Jordan Love is talented enough or any of that. It's nothing to do with Jordan Love. It's just that karmically they will not allow the Packers to have three straight Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Can you imagine, though, what if Jordan Love is? What if he is? What if Jordan Love is a Pro Bowl-level quarterback or an all-pro-level quarterback and in two or three years He's zipping it around like Rodgers in his prime or Favre in his prime. Let me tell you something. If Jordan Love is good, and I mean good, and it's apparent in the first half of this year, I am going to be this Rick. Fla- I'm going to be the walking, talking personification of this Ric Flair audio. I promise you this. Above all else, I'm going to be more obnoxious. Way more. More overbearing. <laughs> And I'm going to make you all learn to love it because you'll have no choice. Well, you do have some Promise choices, probably. You, this. you probably do have some choices. There are a couple other podcasts out there you can listen to. And I appreciate you downloading and listening to this one. But let's live in that world. What if he is good? What if five or six games into this year we think, oh, my God, we got another one? We have another one. That would be a nightmare scenario for the Bears fans and the Vikings fans and the Lions fans and any other team in the NFC. If they got a third in a row, we just have no idea. Am I going to put a little bit of money on the Packers in this game on plus one? Probably. It opened as the Bears minus three. It's now down to Bears minus one. I, I just don't know any result. I could, and you could tell me anything happened. You could tell me the Packers are going to win 31-14. I'd say, sure, that'd be great. You could tell me they're going to lose 31-21 or something like that. I think, all right, well, it's week one of a totally new era and a – Kind of a new system with Jordan Love as the starting quarterback and the LaFleur making a few different changes on offense with a different quarterback. All right, they're going to lose by 10 points. Whatever, fine. You could tell me any result. I just don't know. To me, the pressure is on the Bears because for the other teams in the division, the boogeymen in their minds are gone, and now it's their time. And Justin Fields is in year three, and the only thing we know about Justin Fields so far is that he's a very good running back. We have to see the passing component. He is a guy that is going to have a contract on the line at the end of this year. And if he doesn't rise or get better noticeably, they're going to be looking for a quarterback in the draft, this upcoming draft. To me, that puts more pressure on the other teams, on the Bears, on the Vikings, on the Lions, on those teams. It's kind of a pressure-free week, it feels like, right now for Green Bay. Now, we did catch up with one of my good buddies who used to work at B93. He's my boss for four or five years. He does now work at radio stations in the Fox Valley. He's a diehard Bears and Cubs fan, our buddy Eddie, Eddie Ibarra. And I just texted him this week and said, I want to get a Bear fan perspective. I want to see how Bears fans are feeling heading into this week. Do they feel pressure? Do they not feel pressure? How do you feel about Justin Fields? I wanted to get the enemy territory take. We chatted for about five or six minutes. Some of the early stuff in this conversation is not football related, just us catching up for about a minute or two. I wanted to put the whole thing in there. So here is our conversation with Bears fan Eddie. And honestly, I forgot the number, man. It's been 13 years. 
I'm surprised because all those numbers, I can tell you every number for every station I've worked at just because you say them so damn much. Oh, that's wild. Yeah. How you been? Good, man. Just driving into work right now, took the kid to school, and now it's just like it's been a bizarre world taking a kid to kindergarten, man. I was gonna, oh, is this the first year? Or was, was he doing yeah. like pre-K and all that? Yeah, he did pre-K and all, but just, just, just and daycare and all, but, you know. Yeah. Luckily, I don't have to pay for daycare anymore. That's a big plus. I've heard, I've heard from friends and relatives Jesus that that is a racket. I mean, not a racket. That makes it sound like it's illegal, but <laughs> it sounds like it is a profitable industry for those that are in it. Oh, it's unreal. It's unreal. So I get some money back, so that's exciting. Nice. Well, yeah, man. How have right. you been? I've been good. I've been good. You know, I think I might die in this building, but <laughs> <laughs> other than that, things are fine. <laughs> Oh, man, that's sad. How, long, how, how long have you been gone from here? So was it 2010 you I, left? I left 2010, dude, 13 years. Jesus, that's crazy. Yeah, you've been there longer than I have. That's nuts. I was, now yeah. I'm sad. I was joking, and now I'm sad. <laughs> All right, well, I just wanted to get you on for a few minutes. I'm just curious. I want a Bears fan perspective because... I think there's, like, no pressure for me as a Packer fan heading into Sunday, which is odd because we don't have the Hall of Fame quarterback anymore, and I don't know what our expectations are realistically. I think they're going to go over. I was talking about that on the podcast on Monday. I know it's going to be a shock that I've got the Packers over on the season win total. I think they're going to be all right, though. Rodgers was kind of bad last year. I think love can be that level of good, and they can win eight games or nine games maybe. I don't know, but I just feel like more pressure is on you. What do you guys feel like? See, this is where, where I think that's where wires get crossed between markets, right? Listening to talk radio. There's not much pressure. Everyone knows this is a rebuilding year, right? It's Do you know been, that, I don't know that everybody there's, knows that. Now, now, there's optimism. Optimism is high. But here's the scoop. Like, the pressure is on Justin Fields, right? Mm-hmm. It's his last year on his contract. He can make a buttload of money if he plays well. If not, new quarterback 2024. Like, everyone knows that was a process. And then getting D.J. Moore kind of amplified the rebuild. It went a lot faster than what we thought. So I think there's cautious, cautious optimism right now. We were, at, yeah. we were at the White Sox Brewers series. Lindsay and I went to that. And we had the second game we went to was a night game on Saturday. And I think there was a preseason game at Soldier Field that day. And you could tell the people that were double dipping <laughs> on a Saturday. They've been tailgating since like 10 a.m. But because of that, like there was all kinds of Bears conversation at that White Sox game. And sure. I got to tell you, I mean, the people we ran into, the optimism is, I think, underselling it. There are people that think Justin Fields is get him at plus 700 to be an MVP candidate. And this is the year. And DJ Moore, I know you mentioned DJ Moore. He's a great, he's good. I mean, as good a wide receiver as you guys have had, I think, in a long time or consistent. And I think because of that, the optimism is high. But it just felt like they feel – the fans we ran into, it feels like if the Packers go in and win, if Jordan Love goes into Soldier Field and throws three touchdowns and wins this game on Sunday, I'm genuinely concerned about some of those Bears fans and where they're going to be at mentally if that happens. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I'm okay if Jordan Love does that, but Justin Fields got to be able to do that and then some as well. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, fight fire with fire. If he's going to be a good quarterback, Justin Fields got to be a good quarterback to fight it. I'm more concerned about that O-line. They got to keep him upright, right? They got to make sure he doesn't get hit. But, you know, again, I'm happy with them throwing it six yards at D.J. Moore let him create the next 40 yards after that. You know what I'm saying? I mean, D.J. Moore is that safety net they've never had as a wide receiver. So, throw short, let him do the rest of the heavy lifting. And plus, 
also I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna depend on the on the secondary. It's a really good secondary this year, too, better than I've seen in a long time for the Bears. So between that, you know, secondary and DJ Moore, it's 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 the safety net. I'm guessing seven wins. I was just gonna say, what do you have? Because they're seven and a half to everybody in the in the division seven and a half. Yeah, I'm guessing seven, eight wins. I mean, it's they're gonna play better than they did last year, absolutely. I think, you know, when it comes to fans, obviously, you know, there's you, you want your team to win, sure, but I sure. think everyone realistically knows that we don't this this division is such a wild card. <laughs> like it is. Jordan Love is 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 first full year starter. I don't know, dude. I, I, I feel like Nobody can get that lucky having three Hall of Fame quarterbacks back to back to back. <laughs> Could you okay? imagine if we did, though, Eddie? Could you? Let's live in that world for a second. What if that happens? Yeah. What if it? What if, if he comes happens, out and he's really good in Week One, and then he's just good? Could you imagine? If that happens, he turns out to be a Hall of Fame quarterback. I will call you the day he gets inducted into the Hall of Fame and let you choose any of my credit cards and max it out. Yes, yes. We have, I'm recording this. This is we have a record. That's a verbal contract. So. Just don't pick up the, the the prime one. That's the good one. Yeah, all right. So you've got them under, then. You've got them under. What do you think of, like, the division, though, overall? The Lions, I mean, they're the favorite, which is weird, but I think their offense will be good, the Lions, but their defense, they didn't do anything on that side of the ball, and it was bad last year. The Vikings, I've never seen this from a gambling perspective. They won 13 games last year. They were 11-0 in one-score games. They went from 13 wins. Their over-under is eight, and they really didn't lose anybody. I've never seen a regression, like a five-game regression is insane. I think that the two top teams really this division is going to be Green Bay and Chicago. I mean, Detroit is going to do Detroit things. That always happens. Yeah. And Minnesota, I just, I don't know. For some reason, I just never really think of them. So, <laughs> so I just feel like, like Green Bay, Chicago, is the, it, it, it's going to be where the battle is. And it really, it's going to come down to QB play. We're doing on the podcast I've been doing for the last four weeks, and then this podcast will have my number one. I did like a top five countdown of my favorite Packer Bear games of all time. I bet you know what number one is. What's your favorite Packer Bear memory? <laughs> favorite Packer Bear memory of your <laughs> lifetime, Eddie? <laughs> my favorite Bear Packer memory. Oh man, there's not many. It's I was not gonna cool. say, what's not the one cool? Would it be? <laughs> Not cool. There has to be See, one, right? I, 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 there, I mean, obviously, probably, even, if, you know, that big, uh, crap, what was it now? I can't even think. There haven't oh, been many man. big wins. I mean, you guys in the Kyle, the, the quarterback. One in the last 14. The, one in the last 14. The so. quarterback that did the best against the Packers, I saw this meme on Twitter, so you, you know it's got to be true. The, <laughs> yeah, the quarterback, the Bears quarterback, who had the most success against Green Bay, during the Favre Rogers era, who do you think it was? During Favre Rogers, he had the yeah. most. He had, a, he had an over five hundred record against the Packers during this era. Uh, is it cutting? No, Kyle Orton. Oh, you know what? I still say that two thousand six year when Kyle Orton pretty much. Won the games when what's his name Rex Grossman Rex went down. Yeah. They should have they, they should have stuck with him throughout the playoffs, man. Crazy. What is your? I feel like Grossman could have helped us won the Super Bowl. What is your prediction for Sunday? What are you guys the final? Uh, it's going to be high scoring. I don't think defenses are going to do much on either side of the ball. So I'm saying twenty. Let's go thirty-one. 
27 Bears. All right, I, I, you know what? I'll do the. I'll just do the opposite with the opposite result. 31-27. I think you're right. I think I don't know. We are. We're hoping that the Packer defense can do anything in the Joe Barry year three. They were actually not terrible under him two years ago. Last year, a big step back. So we're hoping they'll be better. I don't know that any Packer fan is ever optimistic about what the defense looks like. I think it'll be high score. I think you're right. I think it'll be like 34-31, 31-27, something like that. We're going to find out Sunday. We'll, we'll call each other afterwards and see who uh, who owes each other something. All right. Well, I appreciate you giving me 10 minutes so I can disparage your team. You've been very kind. I appreciate that, as, as always. Thank you. Since we've been doing our countdown of our top favorite Packer Bear matchups, I had to ask him what his were. <laughs> had to get him a little bit there. I did think, though, once we hung up, if I were a Bear fan in a weird world, in a bizarre world where I'm a Bears fan, and he's a little older than me, he's two or three years older than me, I'm pushing 40, he's in his early 40s, so our fandom stretches over the same kind of decades and time frame. If I were a Bear fan, what would be my favorite Packer Bear memory? There was the one year. They have had some wins over the Packers. There was the one year, either 98 or 99, when Walter Payton passed away. Sad. Just the whole NFL world was devastated. He passed away that week, and the Bears came into Lambeau Field, and they were something like 10-point-plus underdogs. That was still when Favre was around and dominating the Bears. It felt like every time they matched up. It was that week, though, that Sweetness passed away, and an upstart Bears team with maybe a little of that momentum behind them because of that news story, playing a little above their skis. They went in and blocked a kick, I think, at the end of that game and won 14-13. It was a massive upset. It was the Packers were double-digit favorites in that game. Maybe that would be on the list. It's a short list, though. Anyway, Packers-Bears this weekend. Again, Packers plus one. Injury storylines going into it. Not great from a wide receiver perspective for the Packers. Early in the week on Wednesday, it was reported that both Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson may miss the game with hamstring injuries. That kind of came out of nowhere. And that certainly adds a different dynamic when you've got a quarterback not making his first start, but the first start in his era of Packer football on the road in Chicago. And then you're going to take his top two weapons away from him. Not good. Romeo Dobbs did practice on Thursday. It sounds like he's going to play. It sounds like David Bakhtiari is going to play. They're calling Watson a game-time decision. They're not going to push him, and there's no reason to in week one. If it's a hamstring issue and he's 50-50 and you throw him out there in week one and then he tears something or it gets worse and then he's out for eight weeks, they're not going to do that. For that reason, it feels likely that Christian Watson is not going to play. That's a big impact on that game and whether or not you'd bet one side or the other. I guess I'll say Packers 31-27, I don't know, 27-24, something like that. I just don't know. It's it's one of those weird situations where I've never had this in my life a lot for Packer games where I just have absolutely no idea what is going to happen in this game. Doesn't sound like Watson's going to be out there. Dobbs should be, and hopefully Bakhtiari will be as well. 325 kickoff on Sunday. With that, let's get to the number one game on our Packer Bear, our favorite Packer Bear matchups. Number one, of course, takes us to January of 2011. The six-seed Packers, who barely got into the playoffs, and they got in with a win over the Bears in Week 17. I thought about putting that on my top five list. That was one that was on the cutting room floor, that 10-3 to win that got them in. Without that, they're not even in the playoffs. That was on the cutting room floor. The other one was, was it 2014 maybe? Where they had that 45 nothing lead at halftime and Rodgers was playing out of his skull. He had five or six touchdowns in the first half. I just remember seeing that score bug at halftime. I think it was 42 nothing. I thought, that's just got to kill. If you're a Bears fan, just seeing that has to kill you. I want to say it was on a holiday, too. It was a Christmas Eve, maybe. 
I thought about that one too. The 10-3 win in Week 17 gets them into the playoffs as the sixth seed in 2010. They upset the Eagles in round one tight game. Then they go and blow the doors off of the number one seed Atlanta Falcons in the divisional round with the big Tremont pick six. Rodgers, I stand by that being his opus. That When I look back at all the great Rodgers games, and that game against Chicago was one of them, in that moment against the one seed at their place, the performance the whole team put on, but specifically Rodgers, that when I look back at the Aaron Rodgers era was his best single game. And they won that, what, 48-20 or 48-24, something like that. And that set up a collision between the oldest rivals, the bitter rivals, not just a matchup, but a matchup with the Super Bowl on the line. I am not lying when I tell you, and I think a lot of Packer fans feel this way, I was more nervous before this game than I was before the Super Bowl. Obviously, you want them to win the Super Bowl when they get into the Super Bowl. The stakes in this Packer-Bear game, though, it was trash talk for the rest of your life. Whoever wins this game is always going to have the trump card, is always going to have the ace in the hole when the two fan bases are talking trash because you can always go to that bullet. You can always go to, yeah, well, when the Super Bowl was on the line in the NFC Championship game, we were the team that won. You could lose 15 games in a row to the Bears. in the. Let's just say the Jordan Love era goes totally sideways, and you lose 10 games in a row over the next four years or five years to the Bears. You always have that. We always have that NFC Championship game. In the biggest moment, on the biggest stage that those two teams can play on, the Packers got the win, and it was at Soldier Field. That was the cherry on top. I was, for all those reasons, I was more nervous about a loss in that game than I was before they met the Steelers in Super Bowl 45. The game started quickly. Packers got out to a fast lead. Aaron Rodgers' first drive of the game, a touchdown scramble. His only touchdown of the game. They fake it to Kuhn, and Rodgers will take it to the edge. Touchdown. And what an impressive start to this game for the Packers. Rodgers really didn't have that good of a game. He was 17 of 30, 244, and two picks. Didn't throw for a touchdown. That was his only score. 7-0 lead. They got on the board again in the second quarter. James Starks' touchdown run. On first and goal, they hand to Starks. James Starks. Touchdown. His first in the NFL, and it comes in the NFC Championship game. 14-0 at that point, and then Jay Cutler went down with the knee injury. When we look back at this, we can laugh about it as Packer fans. I don't think Bears fans are laughing about it. He probably just couldn't be out there. I know the optics of it when he hurt his knee, and he's talked about this, that maybe I shouldn't have gone back on the sideline. He hurt his knee, and then he had that pouty face on the sideline, and he was walking around, and again, from a casual fan perspective, you're thinking if you're a Bears fan, well, you can walk on the sideline and stomp around the sideline, but you can't play in the biggest game of your life. There, the likelihood is that he could not go back out there with that knee injury, and he has said that. Then they bring in, who was the other guy? The backup was a veteran, Todd Collins. He fell apart instantly. That led to third-string quarterback Caleb Haney, but Haney kind of rallied them in the fourth quarter. It got to a 14-7 game, and then the play of the game, I guess, in my opinion, was the B.J. Raji falling back into coverage, reading the play perfectly, and picking off Caleb Haney for the big fella pick six. Under the direction of Caleb Haney. On third down and five, pressure. Pass is picked off, and who is it? 
Big B.J. Raji for the touchdown. And now B.J. Raji puts on a little bit bigger belt yeah, that's, than Aaron Rodgers typically that's puts a, on. That's a big boy belt. He's not buying that one in the boys' department. Defining moment of B.J. Raji's career. B.J. Raji had a very productive career with this team. It's weird to think that he just faded away. When he retired, I thought, oh, he might be back in a year. Maybe he takes a year off, his body's banged up, but he's only, when he retired, he was only 29 or 30. Maybe he'll be back. It just I've never seen or heard from him again. That was the biggest moment of his career. At that point, Packers up 21-7, but the Bears with five minutes left get a touchdown pass from Haney to Earl Bennett to make it 21-14. Bears had the ball late, trying to tie the game when Sam Shields, just like he did in the Week 17 finale, had an interception to see. Under a minute to go, fourth and four. Haney over the middle, picked off by Shields. And Shields takes it the other way. The Green Bay Packers are going to ride to the Super Bowl on that. Oh, how sweet it was. I think that celebration for me, too, was even more over the top than it was two weeks later when they won the Super Bowl. Just having that moment, you win at your hated rival's place with the most that could possibly be on the line, on the line. And the Packer dream run as the sixth seed continued, 21-14 to win. The only other time they met in the playoffs goes all the way back to 1941 when they were tied atop, I think, the Western Division at the time. And the Bears won that game, which put them into the championship game at the time. But nobody cares because it was 1941. That's the only other time. And that I don't even think technically was a playoff game. They just called it that because at that time, the East Division winner and the West Division winner met in the Super Bowl or the championship game. And it just ended up as a tie between the two teams atop that Western Division. It wasn't technically a playoff. It was, but it wasn't called that at that time. Packers get a win in the NFC Championship game, number one on my top five favorite Packer Bear games of all time. All right, without further ado, let's make some picks. Cue the music. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. Never tell me the odds. If someone gives you 10,000 to one on anything, you take it. That's a cool G, Daddy. Oh, now you got to let it ride. I love hearing that intro. Just took it to my vein. I love it. Just took it to my vein. It is gambling season. I've got three college football and three NFL, even though we're so early in the year that making that many picks is insane. It's an insane person move. Real quick, we'll motor through these. This podcast has been going kind of long. We have in college football, I am taking Notre Dame minus seven at NC State. Notre Dame has the transfer quarterback. They have won their first two weeks by a combined 110, I think, to six. Their defense is as good as it's ever been. I just don't see them losing with that momentum at NC State. I will also take Alabama minus seven at home against Texas. There aren't a lot of good college football matchups this weekend. That is the premier matchup. Number 11, Texas at number three, Alabama. Texas on the rise again. They've got the Arch Manning commit in the future. They're joining the SEC. I just don't see them walking into Tuscaloosa and winning a game. I see this being a Crimson Tide, making a statement at home. Everybody, if you're an Alabama fan, and my brother-in-law Tony is, he went to Alabama, they've got to feel like everybody's talking about Georgia. Everybody's talking about every other team. And Alabama in the Saban era, are we at the end of the Saban reign of terror? Are we? Can it still be picked up? It just feels like we're not thinking or talking about Alabama enough for what they have done in the past 10 years. I don't think Texas is ready for that. A primetime game in Tuscaloosa. I'll take Alabama minus seven at home. That's the primetime game. And speaking of primetime, I'm sticking with Colorado. After what they did against TCU, they're at home against Nebraska, the home opener for Dion. It's minus three. That's it. A part of me thinks Colorado will come back down to earth. 
a part of me thinks TCU's defense is trash, and Nebraska, the one thing that they kind of have going for them is their defense. They'll be able to slow down the Buffaloes a bit. Given the wave of momentum, though, that Colorado is on, minus three at home against Nebraska, I'm taking them. And in the NFL, I will take the Browns. As we talked about on Monday, I've got the Browns over on season wins at nine and a half. They are getting points at home against the Bengals. Joe Burrow just signed a record contract yesterday on Thursday. What is it, $259 million or something crazy? He's been battling injuries, though, in camp and in the preseason. A bunch of key Bengals players have. They are notorious for slow starts in Cincinnati, even in the Burrow era. Because of the injuries, I don't expect them to be sharp in this game. I think the Browns will be, and the Browns are catching points at home. I will take them plus two at home. I think they're going to win the game outright. I am taking the Seahawks minus five at home against the Rams. We talked on Monday about the Raiders. I'm betting the under on the Raiders season win total at six and a half. I think they could be the worst team in football. The Rams could also be the worst team in football. They went all in for a title, and they got it. And they haven't had any draft picks since then. They're an old team. Matthew Stafford coming back from injury. We'll see how he looks. It doesn't sound like Cooper Cup's going to play. Tough environment in Seattle. I will take the Seahawks minus five at home against the Rams. And then I'm going to take the Steelers plus two and a half. Again, with the way they finished last year, similar to the way the Lions finished their year last year, red hot. The Niners, I think, are a pretty good pick to come out of the NFC. But Steelers, tough at home, tough with Mike Tomlin. Again, just like the Browns, they're catching points at home. I will take them plus two and a half at home against the Niners. College football, Notre Dame minus seven at NC State. Alabama minus seven at home against Texas. Colorado minus three at home against Nebraska. NFL, Browns plus two at home against the Bengals. Seahawks minus five at home against the Rams. And the Steelers plus two and a half at home against the Niners. Gamble responsibly. We'll be back after it on Monday. Hopefully a victory Monday after Packer-Bears matchup in week one. We'll break that down. We'll talk about whatever happened in the Badger game and where the Brewers are as they get set for the final three weeks of the regular season. Have a happy, safe weekend. We'll chat with you then.